We are in a uh, special series this summer. It's called the Summer in the Psalms. And uh, so we're looking at eight different psalms throughout the summer. We have a couple of more to go uh, before we start our next book. And so next week I'll be announcing what we'll be studying in uh, starting in September, uh, at least for the rest of this year. And so I'll uh, be looking forward to that. And so next week I'll announce that, what the new sermon series is, which will begin in the middle of September. Uh, and you know here at Trinity we like to go through books of the Bible and then every once in a while we'll take a break and do a, a topical series like a summer in the Psalms. Where we're still looking at um, the scripture, of course, as always, but doing it in a different way. And so we have a couple more weeks in the Psalms and then um, next week I'll, I'll talk to you about what we'll be studying next and why and how it fits into our learning and growing and serving together. Uh, and so... Um, you know, there's something, there's another word that you'll see often around here besides the learn, grow, and serve, and that is the word perspective. And I, I use it often, and maybe you haven't noticed recently, but I encourage you on your way out uh, afterwards as we enjoy some fellowship outside after the service is over, you'll notice that our mission map that's out in the lobby is a little different than most mission maps. And I've mentioned it before, it's been up there for a few years now, but maybe you haven't noticed it, but the map is upside down. But see, from our perspective, it's upside down, because it's not how we normally will see a map of our world. And it's our missions map, because we have a, you know, we have some direction to show where our missionaries are, and where in the world we are sending missionaries, supporting them financially, and and how we can be praying for them. But the map itself is actually reversed. It's upside down from our normal perspective. And I have the word perspective written right over it. But here's the deal. Is it upside down from God's perspective? How does God see the world? And how does he see us? Does God see the world like we would on a normal map? Perhaps he sees it a different way. And so it's just the idea of, we have to remember to st- take a step back uh, from time to time to, to get a different perspective on things. Maybe on our relationships, uh, get a different perspective on uh, the news that we see going on each and every day and in the people around us, the world around us. We need to, to get a different perspective because isn't it part of our human nature to kind of just get tunnel vision and, and see things just a certain way, you know, like... Like we have a certain lens in our glasses and that's all we're going to see, right? Just to see it that certain way. Well, I think often the scriptures call us, church, to look at uh, the world around us and, of course, especially the people that God wants us to care about and share the good news with from a different perspective. And so Psalm 103 is a straight psalm of praise It's written by David, and I'm going to read it in a moment, but in fact, David doesn't even include any problems that he has in this psalm. You know, we've seen many different kinds of psalms in the series so far. There are those psalms where David wants to call down judgment, called the imprecatory psalms. There are psalms of lament, just kind of lamenting what God is allowing going on in our lives. There are psalms of thanksgiving. We're just simply thanking God for, for, for what's going on in our life. There are psalms of, of just pure praise. We might often call them hymns or psalms of hymns. And then there's royal psalms that David would have written or would have been used in the royal courts of the king. 
And there would be messianic psalms, just to name a a few others. And those would be the psalms that even though written so long ago in part of the Old Testament, they look forward to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So there's all different kinds of psalms, but today, Psalm 103 is really just a psalm that David wrote of praising God. He uses the word bless a lot. uses the word bless. But I think part of the reason he wrote it what was to give himself, first and foremost, and others that would be singing this and reading it, a different perspective. To kind of call us back to looking at who God is and his goodness. And we just sang about that before. The goodness of God. How good he is for all that he has done for us. Because oftentimes we can be people that see the world as a glass half empty. Am I right? Now, I think perhaps it changes day to day or even moment by moment, but we we often need to step back and get a good perspective because there's that old saying, right? If a glass is half full of water, how do you see it? Half full or half empty? Are you always looking at the negative or always sort of looking at the positive? Kind of like our missions map. It depends on your perspective and where you are and how you're looking at it. You know, uh, it's been said that if the only tool that you have is a hammer, then you tend to see every problem as a nail, right? You know, when, when Goliath came up against the Israelites, all of the soldiers thought, he's so big, we could never kill him. But David looked at the same giant and he thought, he's so big, I can't miss. See the difference? Same giant, same obstacle, same problem, very different perspective. And so oftentimes, we come to God that way. And so the question for us, and as I read Psalm 103, I think it will make sense to you. The question this morning is, how do we look at God? Do we often think of God and come to God just with our problems? It almost like God is maybe a problem to solve or... He is just our problem solver. Is that true for you that you normally come to God just when you're having issues in life? Just when you're having a fight with your spouse or you're having a disagreement with your your boss at work? Or do you come to God first and foremost recognizing who he is in all of his goodness? And of course, God knows it's in our human nature, our sinful nature, to come to him oftentimes in the negative, like, a, like looking at life uh, through a, a glass half empty toward a, a sort of lens. But this beautiful Psalm 103 of David is a great reminder that we should never forget all the benefits of God. That's how he starts off. Blessing God. Don't forget any of his benefits. It's like calling us back to sort of wipe our eyes of all the issues that are going on in our life. And remember, wait, God is good. It's not just the good things he's done, but by nature he is good. And yes, we can come to him often to solve our problems and even more so when he is not solving or handling our problems. We say, well, I don't know. Maybe God really doesn't love me. Maybe he's forgotten about me. I know God exists, but I just don't understand. So this is the type of psalm that can call us back 
to the wonder and awe of who God is and what he has done for that. Church, don't we need that often in our lives? I've said this before, but it's so important. If you have found your prayer life, your time alone with God when you are praying, no matter what it's for, if you have sense it has become a little stale, a little stagnant, a little repetitive, maybe just keep repeating the same phrases over and over, and, and you realize you're kind of stuck, we all, we're all there, we all get that sometimes, read the Psalms. You know, maybe take the rest of this summer and, and, and read through other Psalms. Psalms is one of those books because it's mostly is, it's not progressive and it doesn't, of course, tell a story. Of course, there's themes. You can open up to any psalm at any time and read it. And God will have something for you. Remember, one of the beautiful things about the psalms, right, is that it reminds us that we can come to God in any and every situation. No matter how you're feeling, no matter what emotions you might be experiencing at any given time, there is a psalm that will speak directly to your situation. And so read the Psalms. But you know what? Today is kind of just the opposite. And we say, you know what? I am really feeling down about God. I'm not feeling connected. I'm sensing that he he knows my problems or maybe he's forgotten and he's just not addressing them. And I'm feeling sort of distant from God. And so we can read a Psalm like 103 to remind us, bring us back, give us that godly perspective. Does that make sense? And so let's do that. Let's look at it and see, because we, today we want to be people who are seeing the glass half full, okay? That wants, that's what we want our perspective to be. As we sang earlier, to be reminded very simply of the goodness of God. And so I will read it now, and then I just want to highlight a few things from this psalm. There's a lot in here, but it is um, a psalm that will be great, a great reminder to us about how good God is. And David even says, don't forget all of his benefits. Here it is, Psalm 103. It's a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. 
For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What a wonderful psalm. Again, he doesn't mention any problem that he has. No concerns. This is not about the enemies chasing him. He wrote many of those. This is simply thanking God. A moment in his day when he was remembering, wait, of all the issues around me, all the storms that are brewing up in my life, God is good. And in that perspective, when it's the glass half full, we really have no problems when it comes to to our relationship with God. In a sense, he is saying, look, have this perspective. He is God and we're not. That's pretty simple, right? I think we need to remember that each and every day. Maybe a good way to wake up. Thank you, you are God and I am not God. Because notice he starts off the psalm by saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. He says, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul. And he says it twice. He ends the psalm, the last few verses, again saying, Bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels, and bless the Lord, all you hosts, and bless the Lord for all his works. See, he starts and ends this psalm by saying, Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Did you ever think about that? Like, we can bless the Lord. We're always looking to God for his blessings. But right here, David is saying, We should be blessing God. How do we do that? By giving him ourselves, giving him our worship. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And that doesn't just mean a little bit of my heart and a little bit of my thoughts. O oh my soul encompasses everything. And then he says, all that is in within me. In other versions it says, my innermost being. And so there's a, there's a check right there if we, if we pause. Is that how we come to God when we worship him? Is it with our innermost being? Are we worshiping God, church, and thinking about our plans for later in the day? Yes, you know, it's part of our human nature. It can be difficult. There's a lot going on up in here, right? But what does God want? He wants everything. He says our inmost being, David says, that's how we should worship him. Our inmost being. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then he says it. And forget not his benefits. See, David starts with himself. This is really important. At the end, he says, bless the Lord, all you, all, all you hosts and you angels. Before he gives direction to others, he starts with himself. But I think we're good at passing judgment on other people. And we're good at kind of projecting our issues onto others. But see... Even in the form of worship, David says, start here. And I have to say that this sort of uh, was sobering and humbling for me. Um, 
And, you know, one of, one of my favorite uh, all-time preachers and, and writers is Charles Spurgeon, and he writes one of the devotionals that I love. It's called Morning and Evening, and he wrote a devotional on, on part of Psalm 103, and he, he was directing it towards other preachers. So I started reading it. I said, uh-oh, maybe I shouldn't keep reading. <laughs> but he basically said to preachers, he said, before you go and bring the word to the church, how about you bring it to yourself first? That was really the gist of what he was saying. He was pulling it out of here, see, saying, David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Before David would direct any choir or, or give his, his kingly advice or direction, he said, let me get right with God first. Let me get right, right with God first. Let me bring my worship to him before I would even want to lead others into worship. Let me ask you this, church. It's a little personal. It might seem awkward, but do you pray for me? Do you pray for me? Um, we have to be praying for each other. And, and I would hope and I would actually like if you would include me in, in your prayers. Um, and I have the struggles and difficulties just like anybody else. Uh, I can be really good at wasting time just like anybody else. I can be just as lazy as anybody else. But every time I open God's word to prepare for the message, it's humbling. And I say, I'm sorry, God, right? And that's why, like, in my preparations, this kind of it meant something different. And then I, I read that, that um, this beautiful devotional by Spurgeon. And reading it, it was like, write to me, preachers, do you worship God yourself before you lead others to the word and to worship? Because that's where it starts. But it applies to all of us. Before we were to go to tell others how to follow Jesus, shouldn't we be following him ourselves? It's not like we're going to be perfect. We don't have to be the perfect Christian because there is none, right? Before we would share the gospel and let others know about Jesus, but yet we kind of do that heart check first. And so that's an important part of this psalm, I think, that David is saying, let me start with my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Let me start there. But then he says, don't forget all of his benefits. And see, this is sort of the rest of that psalm. He lists the benefits of being a child of God. And so we, we don't have time, of course, to look all at all of these. But when you go back and read this psalm on your own, take the time to look at all of the benefits. But he first says, don't forget them. Have some perspective. You're going to see him talk about how high and great he is. Our sins are forgiven from the east and the west. See perspective, high and great, east and west. He says we're dust, we're grass, we're flowers. Again, he's saying you're God and we're not. You're infinite and we are finite. You are everlasting and we have an expiration date. Then he says forget not all his benefits. That's the main perspective. Don't forget his blessings. I like to say it, I mean, he says it, don't forget his, all his benefits, but you know, as a parent, I always tried, it's hard, I always tried to put the positive spin on it, like, instead of saying, don't forget to make your bed, it should be, remember, make your bed. Didn't always work, but the idea is, put a positive spin on it, saying, don't forget, it sounds negative, remember, it means the same thing, remember, but David says, don't forget, so that's what we're going to go with. It's the word of God. Look at some of the benefits he lists right up front. He forgives us. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget, don't forget His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Did you kind of wake up this morning and feel like, God, renew my youth? I feel like an eagle again. Some of us aren't feeling like that. But he says, just in the first five verses, God forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies. Isn't that beautiful? He forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies. Those are just a few, just a handful of the benefits that David says, don't forget, these are the things that God does for you. And again, we can't look at all of them, but he continues on. He works righteousness and justice. Uh, He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. All those things we would keep reading on and on. David, you could picture David writing this. It's just like flowing all the goodness of God. He's recognizing and it's flowing out. But there's one of these benefits that I wanted to focus on this morning. Again, we could have focused on any number of them. You could do a whole series on just these benefits. But here is one that really resonated with me this week. And it's from verse number 3. He forgives all your iniquities. I mean, I think, I don't know of a more important word than forgiveness for the, in the life of a believer. And perhaps it's one of those words that we can gloss over. God forgives me. The, the, the word of God uses forgiveness so often. It's one of the overarching themes of Scripture, Old and New Testament. We know Jesus came as Savior to forgive right? But maybe it's a word, church, that we haven't looked at in a while or thought about. Forgiveness. If nothing else, remember from this psalm, of all the benefits, one of the most important, they're all important, one of the most important is forgiveness. The forgiveness of our, he says, iniquities in the ESV. It is our sin. He forgives us. What I'd like to do is show you just briefly some other scriptures that talk about forgiveness just as reference, as sort of context. As we bring our focus on not forgetting his benefits, blessing God for all the benefits, but let's focus on one this morning, and that benefit of forgiveness. God is a God who forgives. And if you're sitting here this morning as a believer, that you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from your sin. And Scripture says you are saved. The reason that we can say we are saved is because of the forgiveness that God offers. That forgiveness is free. Free for us. But what did it cost the Lord Jesus? Everything. It cost his life. Forgiveness. How about Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe that's one you've memorized before. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now, like right now, not in the future, right now, no condemnation. And Paul in writing this doesn't say there is some condemnation 
or it will be completely forgiven in the future. He says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means your sin, your sin that has separated you from God, your sin, your your, uh, sinful nature that you were born with, has been forgiven. All of our sins are forgiven. But remember, the sins that you commit each and every day, that's not what separates you from God. It is your sin, not plural, singular, your sin. That is the sin nature. That is being separated from God from, from the moment that we are created. See, we are born sinful. And that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so we are born separated from God. It doesn't sound good to say that or we don't want to believe that. But that is our condition before God from day one. And so we are forgiven of that sin. And Paul says, when you are forgiven by receiving by faith that forgiveness from God in the Lord Jesus and Him alone, then there's no condemnation for you. What does that mean? You don't have to fear God's eternal judgment. Does God judge our sins as Christians? Absolutely. He judges how? Not for our eternity. That is already secure and assured. Amen? In Christ, it is. So you can say amen to that because it's what Scripture teaches. But see, of course, there's always consequences to our sins, even as believers, I think the main way to look at it, what is the consequence of sin in the life of a believer? It is broken fellowship with God. Not a broken relationship. We are always made right with God. That first and foremost, that one time of salvation, it's instantaneous when we are justified. Never lose that. But when we sin, we break fellowship with God. It's like when you get in a fight with a loved one and you're not talking, you don't communicate anymore. You're not on the same page. It's kind of like that with our Heavenly Father. And I also believe, it's a sermon for another time, but there are loss of eternal heavenly rewards. But that's what happens when we are forgiven. Forgiven because of what Christ has done for us when we appropriate that forgiveness by faith, by receiving that free gift by faith. Very simply, faith, trust, believing, kind of meaning the same thing. That there is then no condemnation. How awesome is that? But you know, don't we church, if we're going to be honest with each other right here and now, don't we still condemn ourselves? We do. We condemn ourselves when we sin. And yes, there's, there can be that godly guilt, but God says in Jesus, there's no eternal condemnation. We can come before God and ask forgiveness. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. He is good that way. That's the goodness of God. So, Romans 8.1. How about Colossians 1, 13-14? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's another one. Colossians 1, 13-14 says it right there. In Christ, in the beloved Son of God, we have been delivered and redeemed, and we have the forgiveness of sins as our own. That is the, the, um, the privilege of the believer to know that our sin is forgiven. Acts 13, 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, meaning Jesus, 
Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Can't say it any clearer than that, right? Forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. First John 2.2 2. He is the propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That propitiation, meaning that God's wrath, God's judgment has been satisfied. Our sin has been forgiven. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And finally, there's so many, but finally this morning, Ephesians 1, 7. In him, again about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See elsewhere in Ephesians, a little bit later, the next chapter, 2.10, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. So by grace, meaning it's an act of God, grace means it's unmerited favor of God. We don't do anything except receive it by faith. So by grace we have been saved, and the means is or through faith. That's the believing, the faith, the trusting, believing. For by grace you have been saved. So God did it all in Christ. And how do we get that gift? We receive it in faith. Receive it in faith. When Jesus forgives us our sins, our trespasses, iniquities, transgressions, they are erased and wiped off the record. Forgiveness of sin is in many ways comparable to a financial debt being erased. In John 19, verse 30, when Jesus said from the cross, It is finished. He was literally saying, It is paid in full. Jesus took the punishment we deserved. So when God forgives us of our sin, we are free. We are no longer under that debt. Our sins are wiped out, and God will never hold that sin against us. Amen? And that's what Paul meant in Romans 8.1. There, no, there is therefore now no condemnation because he no longer holds that sin against us. It has been, it's called that great exchange. It has been transferred to Jesus. See, our sin nature, our sins have been transferred to Jesus at that moment of belief, justification. And at the same time, that great exchange, Jesus um, Jesus' righteousness has been made ours. See that? We don't earn our own righteousness. The righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus becomes ours. So before a holy and perfect God, because of the blood of Christ, as it says in Ephesians 1, we can be forgiven. Church, it is forgiveness. In Psalm 103, King David lists a lot of benefits of knowing God and being a child of His. And the first one he mentions is that He forgives all of our iniquities. So church, please remember that. As a believer, you are forgiven. He says in uh, verse 12, uh, 11 and 12 in our Psalm 103, He describes how God has forgiven us. It's beautiful. You've probably heard it before. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. You know, um, 
when you sit at the beach, right, you love to look at the waves, you look out over the ocean, it's so cool, except for maybe some boats and ships, right, you can't, all you see is the horizon. You can't see another landmass when you're at the beach here at the Jersey Shore, right? You can't see it. And so you're just thinking about it like sitting there, God takes my sin, he took my sin at that moment I believed, and he removed it from me as far as the east is from the west. That be, it's poetic. It's beautiful. Remember the Psalms are poetry, right? How far is that from the east is from the west? Can you go any further? Really? No. If you think about it, you're sitting at the beach. Let's say you could take your sin and throw it and it would go. And eventually wouldn't it come back around and hit you in the back, right? If it went around, it's like this idea. He's saying it go it's from the east is from the west. But if it comes back around, it'll stop just short. Because it'll never weigh you down again. See? So that's beautiful. So what he's saying is there, it's as far as he possibly could take it. Just like his love for us is as high as the heavens are above the earth, can't be measured. That's how far he removes our sins. But see, oftentimes, as believers, we know our sins are forgiven, but we live like our sin is kind of still right here. And we carry it along with us, don't we? As a, as a, as a chain around us, or maybe as a burden. But in Christ, that burden has been lifted. And we have forgiveness in Jesus. And we are set free. That debt that weighed us down, that doomed us to be separated from God for all of eternity, has been lifted. And we are free. The debt has been paid. You know, the, the final verse I'll share with you and I have some slides to kind of help unpack it, is 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Um, one of the things that we'll be focusing on this fall is what it means to share the gospel, what it means to have a Christian witness, and how do we go about telling others the good news about Jesus. We call it the gospel. The word gospel means good news, right? And, and I think too often... We as believers can confuse what actually is the gospel. What are the essential elements of the gospel? What is the pure uh, uh, and unadulterated, unfiltered gospel? Because what happens is, church, because we know we're forgiven, but we often live with our sin right next to us, because we're not willing to accept that he has removed it as far as the east is from the west, then what happens is, we can start adding other things to the good news of the gospel. And if you remember way back last year, I guess it was, or even the year before, we went through the book of Acts. And how often did Paul say, if you preach or believe any other gospel than what I told you, it's a false gospel. And so why I love 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4, even 5, here's why. Because it explains to us very simply the essential elements of the gospel. We should not add or subtract it. So if you're ever wondering, wait, what do I say when I share the gospel, when I proclaim the gospel to somebody else? What should I make sure that I tell them? And how do I do it? Yes, there's different ways that you can word it. And maybe a different situation will will uh, call for a different way to, uh, a different method to explain it. But the message should never change. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 especially. And then I want to actually add verse 5 into it. And why am I bringing this up to to close our time together? Because if we are going to say that Psalm 103 reminds us 
of all the benefits of God, and there's one one main benefit we're looking at, and that is forgiveness. Well, how are we forgiven? Because at some point, if you are here today as a believer, you believe the gospel. Somebody shared it with you. You heard it, you read it, and you understood. You believed it. Maybe you didn't understand all of the depths of it, of course, but you believed the gospel. There are key essential elements of the gospel, church. And you know what? Here it is. Paul lays it out in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and I'm going to add verse 5 to it. Look at what it says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Let's stop right there. Excuse me. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. They had a lot of problems. He is reminding them of the simple and pure gospel, okay? And he's saying this was the most important thing. Listen, church, this is the most important thing Jesus told me. Because you remember Paul on the road, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, he became Paul, remember? And uh, when he was blinded and Christ got a hold of him, got his attention, and he went from being a, um, a, a killer of the, the people of Israel, a killer of the Jews, to one who wanted to bring the gospel to save them. Remember the whole story of Paul and his testimony? Well, he received the good news, the gospel message, directly from Jesus. Let's remember that context. Right from Jesus himself, as he was then called to be the apostle, the witness to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So what he is saying here is he is saying, for I delivered to you of first importance, meaning the most important thing, this is the first thing I told you, let's always keep it number one priority, what I also received. He's like, and the reason I shared it with you first, why it's a priority, because I got it right from Jesus. Okay, that's, that's what he's saying. And then here it is. Here's the message that he received, what he calls his priority. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. And it goes on to say, to 500 others. Okay? Can I just show you, just briefly, as we end our time together, how this is so important, how it just shows the elements of the Gospel? Three things. First, Christ died for our sins. There's the first truth. Okay? Because when he says the message, he says, Christ died for our sins. There's the truth. According to the scriptures, there's scriptural proof. And he was buried. Physical proof. You follow me? Here's the first truth. Christ died for our sins. How do we know? The scriptures predicted it and proclaim it. So scriptural proof. And he was buried. That's physical proof. That's important. Okay? There's a proposition there. There's a truth. He died for our sins. And then it is proved by Scripture. And then there's an actual physical proof because he was buried. His body was buried. And then what's the second truth? He was raised. According to the Scriptures, he says again. Scriptural proof. And he was seen, verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve, and then others. Do you see that? So the first truth is that he died for our sins. We know that by Scripture, and because he was buried, physical proof. 
The second truth is that he was raised. So he, 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 was, he, he died and he rose again. You see what I'm saying? It's simple. He died and he rose again. He was raised according to the scriptures and he was seen. Physical proof. Do you see that? It makes sense. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying the gospel in a nutshell contains these essential elements. Christ died for our sins and he was raised on the third day. He came back to life. Death, resurrection. Do you see? He, he died and he came back to life. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. Those are the two key elements. How do we know? Both according to the scriptures. His death, we know physically because he was actually buried. And his resurrection because he appeared to others. See, it's, it's, um, it's sort of, um, it, it's, um, it, it is like a systematic way of looking at these verses. Paul is laying it out. Remember, Paul was a lawyer. He was an expert in the law. And so he knew this is how we thought. And he said, here's the message. Let's not add anything to it or take anything away. Christ died for our sins. How do we know? The scriptures predicted it. And how do we know also? Because he was buried physically. He was also came back to life. You can't preach the gospel without preaching resurrection. Amen? And then how do we know? According to the scriptures, it was predicted. And also because he was seen, a physical proof. You can say it another way. There's good news and there's bad news. Maybe you share your faith in this way. The bad news is that we are sinners before a holy God and the penalty for that sin is death. But the good news is God provided Jesus to pay our penalty. That we can be saved by believing, receive the gift by faith alone. And God wants us to know for sure that we are saved and we have that assurance of our salvation. Church, remember, when you're proclaiming the gospel, when you're telling others the good news of Jesus, you cannot start with the good news. Does that make sense? There's got to be a reason there's good news. It's because first there's bad news. I think that's one of the reasons that we often shy away from telling people about Jesus, isn't it? I mean, yes, it's just, it's natural. We don't want to tell people bad news. Oh, they might not stick around for the good news. Or they might, you know, what does this mean, like eternally separated from God? I certainly don't want to use the word hell, right? But if we're going to share the gospel, we first have to say, yes, there is bad news. That we are a sinner before a holy God. And that there's a penalty for that sin. And that penalty is death. But the good news is there is life. You want to talk about death in life. Christ died. He came back to life. We died in Christ. Now we have the promise of eternal life. So the bad news is we are sinners before a holy God. There's a penalty for that sin. The penalty is death. But the good news is God provided Jesus to pay that penalty and we can be saved by believing, receiving that gift by faith alone. Not any works. Not saying any special prayers. It is by faith alone. It's by believing. And then the good news is also that we can be assured of our eternal salvation. And one other way that we might be able to remember it and to share it. This helps me a lot too. There's three things. See, there's a problem. There's a provision for that problem. And then there's a promise. 
There's a problem, a provision, and a promise. Just like there's good news and bad news. The problem, we're sinners before a holy God. And the personal penalty, we cannot pay on our own. But the provision is that only God Himself can pay that penalty. And He did, in Jesus, His only perfect Son, who died and rose again. That's the provision to overcome the problem. you see that? But then what's the promise? The promise is that you believe and you will be saved. Receive that free offer by faith alone and you can be assured of your salvation. See that? There is a problem. But there is provision. And there's a promise. There is good news. But it's because there is bad news. When we bring the gospel to others, let us remember that we do have to start by saying there is a problem. And we cannot overcome the problem on our own. Amen? But there has been a provision made to take care of our problem once and for all. But if we can't take care of it ourselves, who will? God will. He did it all Himself through His Son Jesus. That's the provision. And the promise is you receive that provision for yourself by believing. See, by grace you have been saved. By grace it's all of God's work. By faith. And again, faith meaning believing, trusting. Because at that moment of salvation, two things really happen. We believe, it says we believe in the Lord Jesus and we'll be saved. When we believe, we are agreeing and believing to the fact of who Jesus is, His person as the Son of God, the sent Messiah, and what he said he was going to do what he did on the cross for us taking upon himself our sin but then the second thing is we trust that for our eternal salvation so that's what we say believe it's like having faith it's trusting you're believing the facts about who jesus is and what he said he was going to do that he did it he is the son of god And He did go to the cross and take upon Himself our sin and shame and guilt. But then the other part is that we trust it. We put our full trust and faith in that for the forgiveness of our personal sin. And that we can then have the assurance of eternal life. Amen. Psalm 103. There's so much in there, church. So many things. David says, forget None of his benefits. And the first one he lists, he says, He forgives us all our iniquity. Not some, but all. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Church, let's close our time by thanking him, by worshiping him, letting him know how much we are thankful for his forgiveness.